Jesus about how, how, what do I have to do? What, what is it that I have to do to gain eternal life? What is it? What, what, it, what is the thing that I need to do? And we'll see that Jesus, being 100% God, puts his finger directly on the one thing in this man's life that he is unwilling to step over or to get past to not only be saved, but to follow Christ. And so we're going to talk about this morning the, the one thing. What is the one thing that might be in our lives today that might be hindering us either from getting saved or from following Christ if you are saved? And, uh, and Jesus is very specific here in this passage. So if you've written down that thing on that sticky note, look at Matthew chapter number 19, look at verse number 16. The Bible says this, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me, me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt uh, do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou, shalt live, uh, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be, be perfect or complete, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Well, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And, and in this passage, and I read all the way down to verse, we're only going to talk about verses uh, 16 through 22 this morning, but I read all the way down to verse number 26 for this reason, is that uh, some people will look at this passage and they say, why is Jesus, uh, um, why is he allowing or why is he telling this man to do something for salvation? And that is not the case at all. Uh, Jesus is trying to get this man to see the one thing he is not willing to give up or surrender to the Lord for salvation. Because at the end there, in verse number 26, he says, but, with, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men is it impossible. It's not possible for a man to do something to be able to get to heaven. But with God, all things are possible. It is only through Christ, it is only through the blood of Christ that those things are possible. And so we're going to talk about this one thing this morning. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning. Thank you for a great day to serve you today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me as I preach this morning. I pray you just take me out of the way. Uh, Lord, allow your message. Lord, allow your word to be clear. Lord, I pray that it would fall on hearts that are expecting to hear something from you and want to do something and, and grow closer and ever more closer to Christ. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would not leave the same as we came in, that we would leave, uh, Lord, having given everything to you, uh, Lord, there, there would not be even one thing that would stand in the way of us truly and wholly following Christ. Lord, I pray you bless in this time as we look into your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 
So I want to challenge us today, and myself included in this, to look into our lives before we jump into this. Look at our lives, look at our hearts, and, and see what, what one thing, or maybe even multiple things, but, but what one thing might be in your life this morning that would keep you from fully trusting and fully following after Christ? What one thing would it be? And, you know, I had you write down on that, on that sticky note this morning, one thing. And some of you may have written something, something spiritual. Some of you may have written something that you've been asking God for or praying for. Some of you may have written down something like, I, I would really like a Ferrari in my driveway, or I would really like a uh, million dollars in my bank account, or uh, a nice retirement fund, or whatever, okay? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with necessarily having those desires, but if those desires are keeping us from Christ, keeping us from following Christ, there's a big problem. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this young man to see here in this passage. So as we look at this one thing for this man, we'll see three questions that he asks and one statement that Jesus gives uh, or one thing that he asks to, to gain favor rather than just trusting and following God. He, he's trying to, to put out there this young man as, as he ask these questions, and as he begins to converse with Jesus, really what, what I feel like is, is that he is trying to show that he has done all of these things. He's trying to make himself look good. And right at the very beginning, he comes to him in, in verse number 16, and, and he, he says, good master, what good thing shall I do? What, what one thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Right off the bat, he, he's trying to put himself in a position to gain favor with Jesus Christ. And, and there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to gain that favor. Okay, and so the first question this, young, this man asks is, what good shall I do? What good shall I do? Uh, what, is, what is the one thing, Jesus, that I can do in my life that I can have eternal life, that I can go to heaven? And Jesus, as I said in the beginning, as, as, as he, being 100% God, knew exactly what one thing this man was having a hard time with, okay? And we'll get to that in just a second. But he says, what good thing? What, what, you know, I've already been doing a whole bunch of this stuff. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? In verse number 16. And, and Jesus answers this in verse number 17. He says, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Okay, letter A, there's none good but one, and that is God. No one's good. That, that was Jesus' answer. There's not a good thing that you can do to merit eternal life. There's not, and, you know, and he's asking him, why are you calling me good unless you know that I'm God? Is basically what he's trying to say here. There is no one good except Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Okay, he knew that. I believe this young man knew that. But this young man is trying to put himself in a position to gain this favor that he's trying to gain with the Lord. First Timothy chapter two, verse five says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man uh, and men, the man Christ Jesus. God is the only one who can mediate for us. He's the only one who can go to God, the father and forgive us of our sins because he's the one that died on the cross to pay for our sins. He is the mediator between God and man. There's none that, James 2.19, uh, 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well to believe with all. The devils also believe and tremble. There's one God, and he alone can do these things. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what Jesus Christ is saying here in this first part of this answer, as he says, there's, there's not one good except for God. He's saying, I am that one God. I'm the only one that can do this for you. You cannot do it on your own. There is not a good thing that you can do. But then he goes on at the end of verse number 17, and he says, But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. And so Jesus tells him, you've got to keep the commandments. And Jesus gives this man a very broad answer to his question. He's saying keep the commandments. Well, for, for Israel, for the Jew, uh, that was over 500 commandments. That was a, there, was, there was a lot of things that they had to do. So this is a very broad answer to a specific question that this man had. He's saying, what good thing, what, what good, one good thing should I do? What is one thing that I can do that I can have eternal life? And Jesus is trying to say, look, there's not one thing. Keep the commandments. Because as we know, the Bible tells us that if we offend the law in one point, we are guilty of all. And Jesus knows we are not able to keep the commandments. We're not able to keep the law. And so he's telling him to do something that he knows he cannot do, okay? And, and so he tells him, and, and if we think about this, all of the commandments or all of the law, those 500 some odd commandments that, the, the, that, that are given in the Old Testament, all of those boil down to what is given as the Ten Commandments. Those things are all, comp all those specific little things, they're all compiled in the, the general Ten Commandments, okay, although the, the Ten Commandments are very specific as well. Uh, but then the Ten Commandments, if you, th if you think about it, are also boiled down, or, or you could bring them down to what Jesus says is the Great Commandment. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. And so that Great Commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment there in Mark chapter number 12. Okay, that's the first commandment. The second is like unto it, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So Jesus himself said, the Ten Commandments, the law, all those things that you are supposed to be doing, they're all summed up in these two commandments. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, that is the Ten Commandments. That is the law. Okay? And the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with mankind. They deal with our, our horizontal relationships. Okay? And so Jesus is getting ready. He's going to list them here for us. But as we will see, this young man had been keeping everything pertaining to his fellow man. He'd been doing all of these things. But when it came to giving up all for God, this is the one thing he could not do. He could not give up everything that he had and sell and give to the poor and follow Christ. That was his stumbling block. And so we see in, in, in verse number uh, 18, here's the second question he asks. He saith unto him, which? Which commandments? 
Because he's asking God, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And when Jesus says, keep the commandments, a very broad answer to his question, he gets a little more specific and he says, which commandment? Which commandments? Which ones do I have to keep so that I can have eternal life? Okay, and, and Jesus goes into them. Every commandment that Jesus lists here has to do with those dealings with mankind. He lists the last he lists five of the last six commandments, okay? The first one is, he says this, not, uh, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. First John chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So if we hate, the Bible says that that is equated with murder. Because that's where murder comes from. It comes from a, a hatred within our hearts. It comes from a desire to, to destroy life. It comes from, from those things. And, and, and Jesus is trying to get him to see, and, and we see here in the New Testament, we'll see here in just a second with adultery, there are things that you don't have to actually commit the actual act of these things, but there are things that you can do that are just as bad or, or the same as that Jesus is saying. He says the second one is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Matthew 5.28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her in his heart hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Lust is the same as adultery. If the woman is not, is not the one that you are married to and you lust after her, it's the same as if you are committing adultery in your heart with her. Okay, and so Jesus is trying to get this man to see that, look, it's not just these commandments, but there are things that maybe even you have done that are causing you to break these commandments with your fellow man. There's a quote there I think I skipped over. It might be in your notes. Don't compare yourself to other Christians. Compare yourself to Christ. He's the one you're following. A lot of times we, we look at other people and we're saying, look, I think I'm doing pretty well. Look at so-and-so. Look at the life that they're living. Look at what they're doing in their life. Look at the, the things they're listening to. Look at the places they're going. Look at the, the people that they're hanging out with. I think I'm okay. But what Jesus is trying to get this man to see is it's not about what other people are doing or are not doing. It's about what are you doing. And what is in your life that is keeping you from Christ? And so he goes on, he says, thou shalt not steal. That's pretty clear. Uh, we've talked with the teenagers here in recent days, uh, and I've asked them, have you guys ever cheated on a test? Yes. yes. Okay. How many of you have ever cheated on a test in this room? Okay. Many, many people. Okay. Guess what? You just stole an answer from somebody else that did not belong to you. Okay. That's stealing. Okay, how many of you have actually taken, not cheated on the test, how many of you have actually taken something? Okay, I, I have. I stole a candy bar one time. Wasn't, it wasn't terrible. At least I didn't think so. But my mom made me go back into the store. She made me go up to the store manager. She made me apologize, and she made me pay for three of them out of my own money. And I didn't get to keep one of them. They all stayed at the store. 
We, we do. We, we steal things. We, we have taken things that do not belong to us. Okay? He gets down to the next one. He says, thou shalt not lie. How many of you have ever told a lie? If your hand is not up, you are a liar. Okay? <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just clear the playing field right there, all right? Listen, so, so Je- listen, Jesus is telling these commandments for a specific reason because he knows this man has not kept them. Okay? This man is going to say that he hasn't kept them here in a second. But we all know it's impossible to not, to, to, to not do these things. That's the whole purpose of the law. That's the whole purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show us our need of a Savior because we are sinful. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this man to see. He goes on and he says, honor thy father and thy mother. This is not just obedience. This is the attitude behind obedience. How many of you as a a boy or a girl enjoy taking out the trash? Nobody? There were a lot of times my parents would say, take out the trash. And I would take out the trash eventually maybe you know i mean hey i might be playing a video game my dad says hey kenny i need you to take out the trash five minutes later kenny did you take out the trash just a second that procrastination and then when i actually do go out and i've had to pause my game and i've had to disrupt what i was doing guess what my attitude doing what he told me to do although i get the job done is not right that's dishonoring. Even the things we do towards God can be dishonoring, although they may be obedience, but the attitude with which we do them says, I didn't really want to do that. You know, there's, there's the, the little boy or the girl, and they're told to do something, and they, you know, they, they're told, you know, sit down. Sit down at the table. All right, but I'm standing up on the outside. I'm <laughs> uh, standing up on the inside. You know, and that attitude, that spirit is dishonoring. We, we've all done this. We've all dishonored our father and our mother. And then he says this, love thy neighbor as thyself. And again, there in Mark chapter 12, the second command, verse 31 says, and the second like is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So he's pointing out these things that this man says he's doing, but in reality, we know, you know, and, and we can do these things and we can ask God for forgiveness and have a right relationship still. We can, we can fix the problem. This is what God tells us to do in 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to keep that, that relationship clear, okay? That's what happens after salvation. But we're still going to commit sin. But how can God use somebody that is full of sin? Because we are keeping that short account. Because we are keeping that relationship clear by asking for forgiveness of sins. I believe that's what this man is referring to. Because look at the next verse. He says in verse number 20. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. He says, look, since I, since I was a young person, since I was a, a, a teenager, I've kept all these commandments. I've done all these things. It could be that he's gone and he's done his yearly sacrifices and he's done all these things that were 
commanded of him. And so he's believing, look, I, I've, I've kept all these things. These things have all been taken care of. But, Jesus, but then he goes on and he says, I've kept all these things from my youth up. What lack I yet? So he asked, very, he, he asked a broad question. He said, what one thing, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, which commandment? Get specific. Jesus lists all these commandments and he says, I'm good, I've done that. What is the one of the Ten Commandments that Jesus left off? The last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. This man had great possessions. Jesus knew that was the one thing, and he didn't bring it up yet. But this man says, what lack I yet? The third question. What, what still do I lack? What is still there? What have I not done? Because I've done all these things you just told me. What is the one thing that is still lacking for me? And this is Jesus' answer in verse number 21. He says, if thou wilt be perfect or complete, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor. Letter A, he says, free yourself from entanglements. Free yourself from all of those things that are hindering you from following Christ, from following me. Get rid of them. Get them out of your life. You've got to get rid of the riches. You've got to get rid of the greed. You've got to get rid of the covetousness in your life. That's the one thing that's keeping you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Would you agree with me this morning that if you are saved, if you are a child of God, if you placed your faith and trust in Christ, that in a sense, every single one of us that have done that are called to follow Christ? Agree or disagree? Okay? All of us are soldiers of Jesus Christ. All of us have been placed into God's army, God's military. And right here in 2 Timothy, he's saying, no man that warth, no man that's in this battle, this spiritual battle, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. What's he referring to? The house, the job, the car, the boat, the family, the friends, all of those things that keep us from truly and wholly giving ourselves to Christ. Because we're entangled, we're, we're, we're burdened down with them, if you will. And Jesus says, look, you've got to free yourself from those entanglements. You've got to, you've got to get some of those things out of your life. You've got to let them go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. When he says there in that, pass, in that, in that very first verse, let us lay aside every weight, he's not talking about sinful things. He's talking about the daily things of life that we compound that bring us to the place where we cannot run the race God has put before us. 
Is having a job wrong? No. Is going to school wrong? No. Going to college wrong? No. Is having a good career wrong? No. Is having a boat wrong? No. Is having a nice car in the driveway wrong? No. Is having a nice house wrong? No. Is even having money in the bank wrong? No. But every single one of those things that I just mentioned, if those become a weight, if those become a God, if those become an idol in our lives, guess what? We're being entangled. We're being weighed down. And we cannot run the Christian life effectively with those things. Is it wrong to have them? No. Money can be a great tool that can be used to help the ministry of Jesus Christ. A house can be a great tool. We knew, uh, even, even biblically, uh, you, you have the, 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 widow, the woman uh, that houses Elisha. She built an extra house, an extra room on her house, just for the prophet of God. There are many of you in this, in this church building that have kept missionaries and kept speakers and kept people in your houses as they come here to minister. It's not wrong to have a house that you can do that with. But when those things become our focal point, you know, the Bible tells us, it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not a problem if we keep it in check, if we keep it in view of why God allows us to have it. It's there to serve Him. It's there to be a blessing to others. It's there to give and help people do the ministry that God has called us to do. So, so Jesus is listing some of these things. And he goes on in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The way you do that, the way you run your race with patience, the, the race that is set before you, is by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If you keep your eyes on him, money shouldn't be a problem. If you keep your eyes focused on Christ, the car or the boat shouldn't be a problem. If you keep your eyes focused on Christ, family shouldn't be a problem. If you keep your eyes focused on Christ, education shouldn't be a problem. But many times we allow those things to come in and become a problem. They become idols. They become things in our life that keep us from following Christ. So Jesus tells him here in verse number 21, If thou will be perfect, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor. Then thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. If following Christ doesn't cost you anything, it is because you have bought into American Christianity. I was looking for some, some quotes the other day, and, and Becky and I were sitting on, the, on my parents' porch in Colorado, and, and I, I asked her, I, I said, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? When I read this one, both of us were like, that's pretty sobering. If following Christ doesn't cost you anything, it's because you bought into American Christianity. If you think about it, America is one of the only countries that we can be in where being a Christian really has no ramifications whatsoever. 
Anyone can be a Christian in America. But you go outside of America, you go to some of these other countries, some of them don't even have a page of scripture that's in their language. Much less the ability to know that Christ came and died on the cross for them. You go to some countries and you'll get thrown in jail for saying you believe in Christ. You go to some countries, if you become a Christian, your family will cast you out and disown you. There's a lot of cost for being a Christian. Even Jesus said while he was here on earth, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be some difficulties. But here in America, we have it way too well, way too good. I don't know. I don't know if either one of those are grammatically correct. We have it great here in America, all right? We are spoiled rotten as Christians. We are. We, we, we go to other places. When we were in Israel, we, we, we went, uh, some of us from the church went a couple years ago. And, and while we were there, we saw some things. And you come back and, you, and you, you think to yourself, I'm grateful that I live in America. I'm grateful that I have these freedoms. I'm grateful that I can serve without repercussion. But a lot of people don't have those freedoms. And sometimes we feel like if, if I get saved, if I, if I become a Christian, if I become a follower of Christ, it's not going to cost me anything. I should have a smooth, carefree kind of a life. And that is not the case. That is not biblical. But we've got to be careful that we, as we follow Christ, it's not about just having something cost us either. There are great blessings that come with the Christian life. There is great joy. There is great fulfillment. There's a lot of great things. But there is some serious difficulty as well. There are a lot of costs that come. And Jesus says, look, you've got to sell all that you have but you've also got to follow me. You've also got to follow me. You've got to follow. Matthew 16, 24 says this, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Put down your desire. Put down your covetousness. Put down your greed. Put down your pride. Put down those things that are in your life that are keeping you from following, take up your cross, take up the cross that even I bore, the stigma that might be there, and follow me. Paul said in, in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth through me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. I'm crucified with Christ. Every single day that has to take place. That has to happen. We've got to pick up the cross. The burden, quote unquote, that comes with that. Although Jesus says my, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But there is some difficulty. We've got to pick that up. We've got to shoulder that. We've got to carry that and follow Christ no matter what comes. There is going to be a lot of good. There's going to be a lot of blessing that comes through this. But the sad thing is, is that in verse number 22, number 4, it's not a question. The Bible says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I put it up there like this, but 
he had great possessions. This man had great possessions. There was one thing in this man's life that was keeping him from, from turning fully to Christ. That was stuff. It was stuff. I didn't really announce that the, 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 the hurricane was coming this way or that, that Dorian was headed this way, but just a couple weeks ago, Becky came to me and she says, we got a lot of stuff. We need to clean out the storage room. We need to clean out that bedroom. We need to get rid of some stuff. So we started going through some stuff. We started cleaning out some, some, some baskets and some tubs and things that were just sitting around that we hadn't used in two plus years. And we started, man, I, I, she brought it all out in the living room and laid it all in one big pile. And I said, hey, I think I can sell that. I think I can sell that. I started taking pictures and throwing stuff on Facebook Marketplace, and I, I sold several things. And the rest of it, if I didn't think I could sell it, or if nobody said anything about it on Facebook within a day, guess where they went? We drove it down to the local Goodwill, and we dropped it off. There's a lot of stuff. We, we compound a lot of stuff in our life. We think we need it. We have great desire for it. And what does it do? It gets put on a shelf, and it sits there, and it collects dust a lot of times. Some things we use. Some things we actually do good things with. But a lot of things, what does it do? It goes to storage. It has no benefit whatsoever. And it was the greatest thing since sliced bread that I just had to have. We've all been there. We've all done it. We've all collected. And this man went away from Jesus sorrowful. He turned and he walked away from Christ because he had great possessions. Because he had a lot of things. And he was unwilling to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. He was unwilling to give it up. For, it wasn't even about really giving it to the poor. Jesus just said, I want you to give it up all for me. I want you to give up everything for me. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. I think I had this up maybe in your notes just a little bit. But Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you, this is the same, same story, but in Mark. And after he deals with and he says, with all men, with men it is impossible, but with all things, but all things are, with God are, are possible. Okay, after he says that, he says this in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. I think what Jesus is trying to get across there is, look, it wasn't about getting rid of your possessions. It was about him giving up everything for Christ. Because Christ was prepared to give it all back to him. And then some. He just wanted to see the surrender first. He wanted to see us willing to say, you know what, I'll give up everything to follow Christ. He wants to see that we're willing. 
And I think sometimes that one thing that is in our life is just a willingness to follow Christ. There was this one thing in this man's life, it was possessions. Many people make excuses to put off serving God. A young person in their, in their teen years might be, be getting ready to graduate high school, and they might say, you know what, I'll serve God, but I'll serve him after I get through college. A young person will say after they get through college, when they're all done, they might say, you know what, I'll follow Christ, but, but let me get married first. Let me get that situated, then I'll serve God. After they're married, the couple might say, you know, we'll surrender to Christ, we'll serve him after we have our home. After we get our home bought, after we uh, have started a family, after we've gotten all these things situated. Sometimes the family, with uh, one might say, you know what, I'll serve God, but it'll have to be after the kids are grown. After I've gotten them through college, after they're taken care of, then I'll serve God. And then we come to this place in our life where we look back and we say, I don't have any more time to serve God. I don't have the strength physically to do what, I want, what God wanted me to do. I don't have the ability to do it. I don't have the money to do it. And we've wasted everything that God gave us to serve Him. Ecclesiastes talks about uh, serving God in the, in, the, in the days of your youth. Because there comes a time where we look back and we say, you know what, there, there was no, you know, that's what Solomon did. That's why he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He lived for himself through all of his days. And he got to the end and he said it was all vanity. It was all empty. It had no worth. It had no value. I did everything that somebody could do, every pleasure I had in my life. But it wasn't worth anything. And all God is looking for is that we're willing to say, it's all yours. When I was at Bible college, there was a professor named Dr. Childs. And uh, just about every class that he had, he had a lot of freshman classes, and just about every class that he had in the, the first semester, generally speaking, usually somebody got saved at Bible college within the first few weeks of class. Because he didn't just teach a class, he preached class. Uh, one of the classes he taught was, was the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He taught the first five books of the Bible, and, and generally speaking, somewhere in that class, a freshman would, would trust Christ as their Savior. That's just the way he was. But he used an illustration in just about every class. Somewhere in that class, he fit this in. His life verse was Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And he would say this, you can't live your life closed-fisted. You can't hold on to things. But you almost basically just got to close your eyes and open your hands and let God fill them with whatever he wants. He would also use this illustration. He'd say, look, just take a piece of paper out and sign your name at the bottom and leave the rest of it blank. Turn it around and give it to God and let him fill in the page. A lot of times we write our story. We want to fill in all the blanks. We want to say, you know what? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to have this career. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have this many kids. I'm going to get a nice house. I'm going to have all these possessions. I'm going to serve God along the way. I'll sing in the choir. I'll teach a Sunday school class. You know, I'll take, I'll take a missionary out on my boat every once in a while. I'll, I'll do, uh, you know, I'll have people stay in my house. I'll, I'll give to money to missions. I'll do all these things. And are all those things necessary? Yes. Yes. None of those things are bad things. But if that's not what God has called us to do, then guess what? It's taking place. It's, it's in the way. It's entangling us. It's keeping us from following Christ. I want to ask you this morning, what's the one thing? Look back at your sticky note. That's why I asked you to do it at the beginning. What's the one thing you wrote down? I don't know what it is. You do. But maybe that one thing that you even wrote down on that sticky note is the one thing that's keeping you from following holy Christ. And that's what God wants for us this morning, is just to be willing to say, you know what, I'll give up even that one thing. Because I want to serve Christ with everything that I've got. I want Him to have control of everything that's in my life. I want Him to be pleased with the things that I do and how I live my life. What's the one thing that is keeping you from fully following Christ? You know, it could be family. I've heard testimonies of missionaries that have, have gone to the field after they've lost children because they were unwilling to go before their children while their children were there. They were afraid. You know, God's called me to Africa. They were afraid of... of what might happen, and, and man, there, there's cobras there, there's snakes there, there's all kinds of things there, there's sickness there. And guess what? Child got sick and died here in the United States in the safety of their home. And it took that for them to see, you know what? It's safer where God called me to go than where I wanted to stay. It could be possessions. It could be a career. It could be school. You know, from the heart of a youth pastor, you know, we need some parents that will say, you know what, it's not about just my kids having just a great career and a lot of money in the bank, but it's about them serving Christ. If that's in a great career with a lot of money, more power to you. But if that's not what God wants for them, don't encourage them to do it. Encourage them to follow Christ, whatever it may be. Give up the one thing. It's gotten a little quiet in here. You guys still awake? Here's a couple quotes as we conclude this morning. The demands of following Christ will cost you everything, but you gain far more than you give up. You give up dirt for diamonds. Are we going to take anything here in this life? Are we going to take any of it with us? It's all going to be dirt. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to pass away. It's not worth anything. 
But what Christ has in store for us, if we'll follow him, is treasure beyond compare. Treasure in heaven. The last quote here, it costs to follow Jesus, but it costs more not to. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven because that's where we are going to spend an eternity. Moth, rust, thieves, all those things can, can steal treasure here on earth. When we store up treasure in heaven, none of those things can matter, and we will have to cast back at Christ's feet. If we're willing to give up all, surrender all, to follow Christ. What's the one thing? What one thing might be in your life? It might be more than one thing. But what is one thing that might be in your life this morning where you'd say, you know what, I'm going to give that over to Christ? You might be sitting here this morning, you might say, you know what, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never placed my, I've never become a Christian. And there might be something in your life right now that you might say, you know what, I feel like there's something in my life that's keeping me from hindering me getting saved, from putting my faith in Christ. But I'm willing to give that up this morning. I'm willing to put my faith and trust in Christ. As soon as we start this invitation, you'll have an opportunity to come down here and, and do that. Whatever God's spoken to you this morning, what, I, mean, I encourage you just, just to come down, deal with it here at the front, deal with God, solidify the decision, and walk out these doors different than you came in this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the day you've given us. Lord, uh, there are so many things that so oftentimes crowd in our, into our life and cause us to, to not fully and completely follow or serve you. Lord, I pray that this morning as we've uh, spoken of these things, Lord, that if there's one thing in our life that we would be willing to give it up for you. Lord, if there's a person here this morning that does not know Christ, that has still not trusted you, uh, may today they, they give up maybe even some pride. Uh, Lord, maybe just maybe a stumbling block that's there that, that's keeping them. And Lord, may they just walk the aisle. May they, may they come down. May they find somebody that can, excuse me, that can show them from the Bible how they can know Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that one per not one person would walk out these doors this morning that does not know you as their Savior. And, and Lord, I pray that each Christian that's here, every person that does know you, that they would not leave the same way they came in, but that we would leave fully and completely surrendered to you, desiring to fully and completely follow you. And Lord, I pray that you bless in this invitation time. Let's stand.